once, say it twice, third time the charm. Three is a magic number. Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 53, The Muppets Take Manhattan, and I'm your host, Michael the Bear. Waka, waka, waka. Today, I have my unofficial co-host back, Brian Rodriguez, to talk all things Muppets, Broadway, New York City, eh? as we dive headfirst into Manhattan Melodies, the hit show within a movie starring dogs and bears and chickens and things. Real quick, just want to say, check out my other show, The Monsters That Made Us, with Dan Colon and myself, the last Friday of every month as we look at the history of the Universal Monster movies. We just released our Wolfman episode, and it happens to be the 80th anniversary of that movie, so that was a very jam-packed episode you can hear right now. I also just wanted to say, The Monsters That Made Us was chosen by Variety as one of the 12 horror movie podcasts to make you scream on October 26, 2021, just in time for Halloween. That was very unexpected and super Super exciting, and I just need to take a second here to acknowledge that that happened. So go check out that list on Variety, as well as all the other podcasts mentioned in that article. And you can check out The Monsters That Made Us, Viva Pod Vegas, Cage Club, and all the other shows that I'm on over at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. But now it's Muppet time, so without any further ado, warm up your pipes. Make change for the lockers, and look both ways before crossing, because the Muppets are about to take Manhattan. Together again, <laughs> it's me and my unofficial co-host, Brian Rodriguez. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you for having me. I'm excited today. We get to talk something fun and lighthearted. So on my show, High School Slumber Party, we have High School Slumber Party AP. My co-host there, Island Addington, and we talk more modern films. And modern films can be really sobering. Like, uh, Mike, I don't know if you've seen Boys State. It's a documentary. No. It's basically a documentary about boys in Texas who get elected to this thing. And it's great, but it's just... It's like a horror movie, even though it's a documentary, right? Just about politics. It's heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. So right? watching that and watching the Muppets take Manhattan 
It was just so refreshing. So I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Yes, and we are here tonight to talk Muppets, Muppets Take Manhattan, the third Muppet movie in the Muppet saga that's ongoing. Television shows and Disney Plus series and cartoons and everything out there. But Brian, first I just have to say thank you for coming back the last time you were here. We were off to college with Revenge of the Nerds 3, and I wasn't sure if that's the last time I was going to see you for a while. (laughs) I'll always be back. From what you've done on High School Slumber Party, your sacrifices with just a third of the way through our three-year-long Corey's series. Wait, what third of the way? I thought it was only a two-year. Oh, Mike, I don't know if I could do the marathon of the rest of the Corey movies. I think we need to spread it even more. Whatever you need. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. But thanks for being here for me tonight, too. And I was surprised when you said Muppets. I love them, but what is it about the Muppets that made you want to do this? Well, uh, two things, and unfortunately, one is a very sobering thing. Just recently, what, about a month ago, a little bit more, we had the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And didn't think I'd bring that up today, but... I was just thinking at that point of, like, all the great films shot in New York, right? Like, there's so many great ones and so many underrated ones as well. Like, obviously, you have stuff like The Godfather, but you have stuff like Working Girl, quintessential 80s movie. And thinking about that 80s New York, I don't know why The Muppets Take Manhattan came to my mind. And I've always loved The Muppets, and I've always really liked this movie because it reminds me of that 80s New York that I was born into. You know, I have more consciousness of early 90s New York, but I was born in 87 after this film, but I still remember the tail end of that, and I'm fascinated with it. This is also, again, a little little sobering, but During the height of COVID, people started moving out of the city, the city I live in. People were saying New York was dead again. And so many people have predicted prematurely the death of this city. And it never really dies. It always comes back. And you see that a lot in film. And like the 80s and 84 in this era, believe it or not, in The Muppets Take Manhattan, is such a transitional era from like the death of the 70s to the revival of like the Wall Street 80s to what we eventually get in the 90s and whatever, right? So like, that's what made me think of this specific movie. And I'm just a huge Muppet fan. So I'm excited to talk today. Well, I love that. Those are great reasons, great answers. Uh, I, too, am a lifelong Muppet fan. I mean, even to this day. But it's funny, Brian, you know, watching this movie... I thought of you a lot, like, it, it kind of has your sensibilities, you know, like, <laughs> Sardis and Ed Koch and, like, the diner. Like, I could almost see you, like, walking by in the background in this movie or something as a cameo, one of the cameo appearances. Ooh, I would love that. This is a movie, that, exactly that, Mike. It's not a New York of today, but it's a New York I almost wished I lived in, where you can go to the, the corner Greasy Spoon and just get some Yankee bean soup. Yeah, you're the next Gil Faison. Like, you're, that's <laughs> how I feel in the sort of like tradition of the too much tuna folk of like that tradition of Manhattan, like keeping the old New York alive. And Broadway is a huge part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another thing. Broadway just came back in this city. My coworker today actually won one of those ticket lotteries to go see Wicked. Unfortunately, she read the email five minutes too late, but that's just like a sign that yes, COVID's still here. I'm not downplaying it at all, but it's nice to see New York getting back on its feet slowly and safely. And the Broadway in this reminded me of that. The theater, which is the lifeblood of the artistic community in this city for a lot of people, was closed for months upon months that's the only neighborhood really up until like a couple weeks ago that was completely dead because no theaters nobody going to restaurants there like to see Times square still empty was crazy and this movie just about 
a theater show. Just it made me happy. It brought some joy to my heart. Yeah, and I and I love like watching it now, seeing all of like the behind the scenes of putting on a show. Like I love movies about the process of making a movie or like about like putting on a play. Like not that this is Birdman or anything, but like <laughs> in that vein of like, you know, putting on a show or something and all that jazz. Like I love like that more than the actual show a lot of the times. Uh sort of the the whole process of all of that and everything. And so that's cool to see that here too. And also Broadway seems so distinct to New York like when I think of theater I basically think of New York and London predominantly that's what I think of so it's so nice that there's like a true love letter to Manhattan would include so much of the theater in it absolutely We'll go through our history with the Muppets in general and, and this movie, and then we'll get into the thick of it. So I've been told, you know, I was told very early on in my life, my mom would always loved to remind me that the night before I was born, the family went to go see the original Muppet movie in theaters. Ooh. They were in theaters like 12 hours before my mom went into labor. So I guess that's like the first movie I almost saw. So like the Muppets have sort of been part of my life before I was even born and then grew up with the Muppet show and Sesame Street, of course, and then saw this in theaters. I remember distinctly, like, you know, wow. I can almost quote this movie, almost didn't almost didn't have to watch it for the <laughs> screening just because it was sort of so ingrained in my memory and then watching it with my nieces and nephews, with them growing up, going through all the Muppet canon. So it was quite a trip down memory lane rewatching it. But Brian, how about you and your history with the Muppets? My history with the Muppets is weird because, like, they've been a part of my life so long that there's no, like, first Muppet moment. I just feel like I grew up in a Muppet-loving household. I had a Kermit the Frog toy, Sesame Street, as you said. It was just part of the culture, especially back then. I can, you know, I've seen all the Muppet movies... I'm pretty sure. Even Muppets in Space, the least seen one. Muppet Treasure Island like came out when I was young, and that's really underrated and really good. I loved Sam the Eagle because he was just like, you know, it's like, is anything sacred anymore? Like stuff like that, like a conservative pundit. He's not evil, obviously, but you know, like he's just like very patriotic. Gonzo's my favorite. If you're a weirdo, you feel better about being a weirdo with Gonzo in your life. I think I mentioned the other day, I just figured out that Fozzie's supposed to be a Jewish Catskill comedian. Like, that never crossed my mind until, like, a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, shit, duh, that makes so much sense. I don't know, because, you know, when you grow up with something, you don't, like, question its origins. And just to speak to Jim Henson, he is, like, one of my heroes in a sense of, like, one of the great creators of all time. My brother went to University of Maryland, and so did Jim Henson. So I remember moving him in, and I didn't realize he had gone there. And they have this beautiful, like, Jim Henson statue on a bench with Kermit the Frog, and it almost moved me to see it. People don't realize that he essentially saved puppetry as we know it. Like, it was such a dying art that he really re-brought to the mainstreams. When people think of puppets, they think of the Muppets. Yeah, also sort of a personal hero of mine, Jim Henson, sort of redefined children's programming too, and adult programming and mm. comedy. Like Sesame Street and The Muppet Show launched together at the same time and one was a children's program and one was sort of a prime time show the humor on the muppet show is a lot of the kind of irreverent humor we get from shows like family guy and the simpsons now but they were doing it almost ahead of its time it, you know sesame street forget about it like did so much in my childhood like i'm that generation like sesame street kind of launched like right around the time i was born and stuff so like i was raised not just on television but by sesame street yeah, like did a lot for my childhood and sort of sculpting and molding my imagination. 
I mean, Sesame Street, yeah, God, we can go on forever about that. Kids today, I hate being that person, but kids today will never understand like how important Sesame Street was to the education of children in America, specifically in the inner cities, but not just in the inner cities. This was a time where preschool did not exist in most places, and people's preschool was Jim Henson's creations with Sesame Street. Jim Henson is such an important person in American history. Like, I, I can't, you can't overstate his importance. You really can't. Agreed. So let's just try and celebrate him as best we can by talking about this movie. I guess what I'll do first and foremost is I'll just run through the plot real quick. That way we can talk about it out of order and just bring up whatever we want. And you know, then we'll talk about the cast and go through some of the songs and our favorite moments. But in a nutshell, the Muppets are putting on their show at college. They're seniors in college, and they're putting on their show Manhattan Melodies, and they decide, hey, let's go to New York and sell the show to Broadway. They go to New York after several months of not being able to sell the show. They all go their separate ways and get jobs in different parts of the country. Kermit stays behind to sell the show. Miss Piggy stays behind to keep an eye on Kermit. They all work at, like, this little diner with all these rats uh, and their friend Jenny. Eventually, uh, Kermit does sell the show to a young up-and-coming producer who is the uh, son of Art Carney. We'll get there. So they sell the show. They're going to put it on, and Kermit gets hit by a car. He has an accident. He has amnesia. All the Muppets are going to look for him, but Kermit has taken a temporary job as an ad exec, sort of like Mad Men. The Muppets find Kermit. They jog his memory. They put on the show. Everybody's happy. Kermit and Piggy are married. The end. That's the movie in a nutshell. Before we get going, Brian, anything else you'd like to add to the plot? Well, I guess one thing, and it also has to do with uh, my introduction to the Muppets as well. They have these great cutaways in the movie, like where you see people, you know, you see the Muppets doing other things in different places. But one of the interesting cutaways is the backdoor pilot to the Muppet Babies that we get, right? Which I grew up on the Muppet Babies for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's puppet here and that was a cartoon, but I love little backdoor pilots and stuff like this. Yeah, that is probably the part that sticks out the most to me. I mean, it, I almost put it on Twitter as a timeline cleanser. It's so adorable. <laughs> but Muppet Babies were a great show. By the way, where did you watch this? Because I do not believe it's available on Disney+. Plus. So this is kind of a shame. When Disney acquired the Muppets, they only acquired the stuff produced by Jim Henson Workshop, specifically, or whatever it was called, right? Jim Henson's production company. There are a couple Muppet movies that were bankrolled by other studios. I don't remember who bankrolled this, but it wasn't Jim Henson. They didn't have the money. Sony actually owns the rights to this film. So it's like a Spider-Man thing. Oh, Honestly, like low key, I have hoped that if they acquire Spider Man, they're like, could you throw us that? The Muppets take Manhattan as well. And there's precedent with this, actually. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but a little sports thing here. When Al Michaels was the broadcaster for Monday Night Football, which is an ABC property, which is owned by Disney, and NBC wanted him for Sunday Night Football and he wanted to go there, they actually traded him for a character called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Oswald the Lucky Rabbit is the precursor to Mickey Mouse, but that's when Walt Disney was working for a company that NBC later acquired, so they always own the rights. So Disney was essentially like, that was like a holy grail item for them. So we were like, okay, you can have Al Michaels, you can call all your sports, but we need Oswald. And we're like, all right, (laughs) you know? So long story short, if we get a Spider-Man trade at some point from Sony, please, Disney, please, if you're listening, throw in the Muppet Stick Manhattan. And by the way, uh, the other film that technically will never be on Disney Plus unless, again, they acquire the rights to is that Muppets in Space one that I mentioned that was bankrolled by 
another studio as well. That's why it's not very known, that one. That's very interesting just because Disney acquired Marvel and Marvel has had trouble dealing with Sony and now it's funny that Disney and Sony, they're just sort of rivals on a level. It's that, I, I remember reading that Jim Henson just could not direct this and be involved with the writing. It was all sort of left to Frank Oz for the most part to do, which was like, you know, that's great. Like Frank Oz has directed incredible movies in Little Shop of Horrors. And so it's in great hands and everything, but it's, it is further sort of removed from Jim Henson, aside from playing Kermit and a couple of the other Muppets and stuff like that. He kind of did take a back seat in this one. All right. You want to start talking about these cameos first? The cameos are great. But did you read that note that there was like 10 times more cameos supposed to be in here? Like Dustin Hoffman and some other like heavy hitters and they all kept dropping out. So Frank Oz like rewrote the script and I think it was an improvement because that's something that I gotta be honest with you, some Muppet properties do suffer from over cameo stuff, especially later. Looney Tunes properties at times will like, not Space Jam, but there's other like Looney Tunes movies that have like way too many like real life cameos. I like a little cameo here or there, but let the Muppets be the stars. And I really think that's what Frank Oz did here. Yeah, I agree. I think they kind of did a thing with the movies where they kind of wanted to recreate the show and the show was always hosted by a celebrity so you had guys like Steve Martin popping up in the first Muppet movie Christ Orson Welles shows up at the end of the first Muppet movie (laughs) but I agree you know you don't want to bog it down too much like that's why I love the great Muppet caper so much is because like even when the cameos show up it's mostly like these old British people that I have no clue who they are so I'm not distracted and in this case too there's like a lot of people at least as a little kid I didn't recognize and as an adult you know there's a couple I still don't recognize but you know we might as well go down that list yeah i don't know if you know francis bergen i looked her up and then i saw she was the mother of candace bergen and that's how much i know of her more sort of iconically i guess is she's the wife of edgar bergen who is the ventriloquist that operates charlie mccarthy which is probably the most famous ventriloquist except for that guy nowadays yeah so that is like puppet royalty lineage i guess you know and i believe he is in the original muppet movie with charlie mccarthy at one point but yeah you know as a little kid you're not going to recognize the wife of or the mother of the famous person because i don't know francis from much yeah no i was not familiar with her then we have art carney who i briefly mentioned earlier what do you know about art carney aside from his starring role in the star wars holiday special honeymooners of course and I know he won an Oscar later in his career. I don't remember for what. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if that was for Harry and Tonto, but Harry and Tonto is a really good movie he made when he was older. But I wouldn't have recognized him as a kid. Yeah, no, I didn't. It was only recently that I recognized him. And yeah, you're right. He did win for Harry and Tonto. Dabney Coleman. See, like, here's where we start running into things where it's like the movie is showing not its age, but it's like it's it's not as timeless, I guess. Because Dabney Coleman didn't really... He was sort of having a moment. He's no Elliot Gould, right? Yeah. Who sort of shows up next, right? (laughs) For sure. Like, Elliot Gould... I think even the young kids recognize Elliot Gould from Friends. Yes, and yes, young people love Friends. Um, It's had a revival among that community. But, I mean, the Oceans movies, all that stuff. Those are the cameos I like. When it's like a little thing. Or like the Liza Minnelli cameo, right? Where they're at the restaurant, Sardi's, right? And I love that 
Kermit does some great, like, little side characters here. Like, when he's that, the frog with the afro, I should say. Like, I like that one. Oh, yeah, where he bursts in on John yes, Landis. Yes, John Landis. There you go. Very random one. I was like, wait, is that John Landis? The um, Liza Minnelli one, he's just like that old producer, right? That great scene where they put the Kermit's photo up there and the rats are doing the whisper campaign. And Liza Minnelli's like, did I do something wrong? You know, those are the cameos I like. The Joan Rivers one, I think that's more, and I don't hate Joan Rivers, I love Joan Rivers, but I think that's more the Muppet Show style cameo, because that almost felt like a little sketch, if that makes sense. Absolutely. As a kid, I knew Joan Rivers because there weren't very many female comedians on television and like the ones that were were sort of on a lot and she was always a personality. I remember her. Liza, I didn't know as a little kid, but I love that idea of a restaurant of Sardi's where like everyone had their drawing on the wall and you sat underneath your drawing if you were famous enough. It's crazy. It's crazy. Such a cool (laughs) idea. Maybe not my favorite cameo, but I think my favorite actor to pop up here is a guy that Left us a little too soon, maybe, but Gregory Hines showing up here. Oh, 100%. 100%. I love Gregory Hines. and he, He's great in everything. He really is. Yeah, I, I feel like all of the cameos are pretty good because most of them aren't playing themselves or like necessarily even like a character you know you got guys like Dabney Coleman who play like the crooked producer or Joan Rivers who plays Piggy's work assistant at the perfume counter but otherwise for the most part it's just like like true cameos like true just sort of like one shot walk-ons like maybe a line maybe not like Ed Koch, who you mentioned, mayor of New York at the time. <laughs> That's right. Also, one we didn't mention, because I'm really perplexed on her age, and that's Brooke Shields. Yeah. How old was she? Let's see, 19? I knew her from Blue Lagoon, probably. That was a, a movie I think I, we rented. Which, which I realize, uh, it, it's on Netflix, and I realize, maybe qualifies for High School Slumber Party. They're teenagers, which is so weird. They're homeschooled on that island. <laughs> true yeah i mean just seeing brooke shields here that was fascinating 19 year old brooke shields just interesting um i think those are all the cameos right did we miss a significant one there's one more there was that one scene that was it takes place outside of manhattan because rolf works with those dogs and stuff and there's a guy like i don't know james coco really but like i recognized his face and and i always thought this was a very funny performance but you know very big sort of broadway star off broadway movies the whole nine yards just a little before our time i believe yeah just a little bit before our time but i love that dog scene with rolf the transition from the real dogs to the puppet dogs once that uh character leaves is so amazing these cutaways are great and really fun again i don't know if you're an adult and you're not familiar with the muppets you could pop into this movie and have a good time i think you'd be very confused and maybe not get into it but if you're a muppet fan there's a lot of good muppet stuff in this movie Before moving on, some of the cameos that I guess either didn't make the cut or or they couldn't get that they wanted. I understand some. I'm not so sure. They must have been busy with other things. But Dustin Hoffman, Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin, Richard Pryor, Michael Jackson, and Laurence Olivier. (laughs) So I can understand why some of those people might be a little busy. But yeah, I think they got the right mix in this one. So it's pretty good. What's interesting, Mike, is that Rizzo is introduced in this. He's kind of the leader of those rats there. And Rizzo becomes a huge character in later Muppet films. But he's modeled off of, what's the guy's name, Ratso? In a... 
Oh, Midnight Cowboy? Yeah, it's Midnight Cowboy, because Urban Cowboy is the Travolta one, right? Yeah, yeah. Urban Cowboy is Travolta, right? <laughs> yeah, but Midnight Cowboy is that famous song, like, hey, I'm walking here! And so Ratso is modeled after Rizzo, and it was weird that Dustin Hoffman was going to be in the movie. On this watch, I found that kind of funny. It's crazy that they would base a Muppet off of that character in the first place, because technically that was like, I think that may be the only X-rated movie to win the Best Picture for Academy Award. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the joke is like, they would never expect us to make a Muppet based on this. <laughs> you know, all these kids movies have a little tongue in cheek thing for the adult. And I think that's that's one of them. And also just like the New York sensibilities of those rats, like the true New York accent and just like, you know, just how they're living and just like the rat jokes are hilarious in this. Yeah, well, just the whole concept of rats working at a diner, being waiters and waitresses and, and cooking your meal, because New York City, of course, you know, one of the big stereotypes is growing up especially in the 80s were the size of the Mm -hmm. rats you know the rats were everywhere it's like what are you gonna do and not that they're not still there but i mean they were really there it was like the end of suicide squad when they're like coming up and taking on the starfish thing that's good satire yeah the rats are in your food they might as well be serving your food i love the rats and and rizzo one of my favorite muppets like a top 10 favorite muppet of mine yeah, I was surprised. I mean, even as a little kid, how quickly I accepted him into the fold. And because I was like, oh, this guy, I don't I don't know what's going on with this guy. But like by the end of the movie, I, I can't imagine him, you know, not showing up in the next one. They've tried to force feed us Muppets throughout the years. Sometimes it hasn't gone over well. I remember, I guess it was the late 90s. They kind of, which they have a lot, but they've kind of rebooted the Muppet show as Muppets Tonight. It ran for like two years, and the host was like, I don't know what he was. I know his name was Clifford. I don't know if he's supposed to be some kind of... Oh, he's a catfish, I guess, whatever. And I remember they tried to include Clifford in later movies, and no one really cared. Um, there's even the Muppet that they introduced in the Jason Siegel one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walter. Walter, yeah. And it, like that didn't really... Like, people like the OG Muppets, so it's always nice to see Muppets introduced in later movies that get the acceptance, like you're saying, like Rizzo. I think there was a prawn at some point. He might have caught on. Pepe the prawn. Yeah, he definitely caught on. I don't know when he was introduced, actually. He was introduced on Muppets Tonight. So that character caught on, and the Clifford character didn't. So, you know, you never know what's going to catch. Yeah, and there's just been so much in between all that, too. Like, I remember growing up in the, in the, like, the early 90s, they would do, like, a Muppets kind of storybook special kind of thing and it would be sort of hosted by Muppets but then they would reenact fairy tales and at one point it was like a special episode where they introduced a and, and like I remember like Kermit came out and was like we're gonna introduce a brand new Muppet and he's made entirely in the computer and it was like a CGI <laughs> contraption kind of like balloon faced oh thing God. that came flying out on the screen and everything yeah that lasted like two seconds but that was like pre-Toy Story and all that kind of thing where they were really they were experimenting with computer graphics and seeing if could it interact could it be taken seriously as like a puppet or a muppet or in that world and uh ultimately no i don't think so so i have a list of what people consider now to be the official muppet lineup like who's accepted and who's not here we go kermit the frog obviously number one always gonna be number one miss piggy awesome fozzy gonzo that's like the big four, I would say. Rolf being the fifth of the big... This is kind of in order, too, right? So it's Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, Rolf. Then it lists Scooter, Animal, who, by the way, Animal, not a very 
2021 character. <laughs> no, no. And, and I mean, based off, from what I know, based off Ginger Baker, the drummer, like, again, that's kind of like a Rizzo thing. Like, I mean, a great drummer, but like a, <laughs> like a, a wild man, like a crazy, like a legitimately like crazy person. Yeah. But you know what? In this movie, they don't say like, oh, yeah, you go, animal. They, they acknowledge that his behavior isn't the great. True. And... Miss Piggy is dealing with sexual harassment at times in this film, believe it or not. And she stands up for herself, which I love. Yep. That's great. Oh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. So they're just including the entire band together there. Statler and Waldorf, who I love. What's the joke in this one? Like, oh, I hear the show's coming out. And I got tickets to the next train out of here or something like that. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, classic. Beaker, which I don't think they were in this movie, were they? Or maybe at the wedding. Yeah, those were classics who really didn't get lines. Sam the Eagle, who I mentioned. Swedish Chef, who we get in a cutaway. Rizzo, who's introduced here. And the two newest ones that they have on this list are Pepe the King Prawn, which whoever made Pepe the King Prawn, congratulations, you made a star, and I'm sure you didn't even know it. And uh, they include Walter on this list, though I really don't think Walter has caught on. Like, it was a point I went back and watched a lot of the Muppet TV show. And there's major Muppet characters on there that are never seen again, that have, like, big reoccurring roles and are in, like, all the skits and, like, come out and, like, more screen time, some of them, than, like, Fozzie. But those are those core sort of crew are the ones that, like, seem to be the ones from the first movie, mostly, that have carried on. Uh, I'm surprised Beauregard isn't mentioned there. He shows up in, in The Great Muppet Caper as the cab driver. He shows up at the end of this one. But I remember him being in the new Muppet movies and all that kind of stuff. But it's still quite a list. That's that's quite a roster, you know? I mean, Skeeter never uh, showed up in real life. Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention Skeeter. Life, you know, like, <laughs> that one. Which I'm surprised, like, how well I accepted that as a kid. I was like, sure, Scooter, Skeeter, why not? You also had, um, I don't know his name, but, like, Kermit had a nephew who featured in a lot of things. He was, like, a little frog. Robin. Robin, yeah, yeah, Robin. There you go. The great thing about the Muppets is that they acknowledge that they're in the same world as Sesame Street. You get crossover characters that sometimes... I know in the Muppet show, you'll see, like, some of the monsters, they'll transition into Sesame Street and Kermit's on Sesame Street. But also you have, like, things like Fraggle Rock, which I love. The Jim Henson Workshop, again, Chef's Kiss. This is a love letter to Jim Henson. You want to talk about some of these songs? Do you have a, one, a favorite song that we want to go over here? You want to go through each of these songs? Or how do you feel about the music in this one? Songs? That's tough. I don't think you can beat the original Muppet movie with songs. Right, right. Or even the second one. I don't know. The first one, though, I have the original soundtrack on vinyl. I kind of stealthily... Not, not stole. Let's just say I'm keeping it in good hands for my uncle. It was the first album he ever had. Moving right along. along. Rainbow Connection. Come on. So good. So this one, I don't know what my favorite song is. Okay, let's rifle. Th- I'm going to rifle, yeah, rifle off, off some of them. You can't take no for <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. How about saying goodbye? That's a tough one. <laughs> I'll pass. For me, I all, I'll always remember the end one. Somebody's getting married, you know. Oh, of course, the opening one. Look at us, here we are, right where we belong. Like that whole, that one, that's not bad. Yeah, but again, for something about Broadway, I would say maybe my criticism is that could have some catchier music. The Muppet Baby song, it's not bad, kind of a doo-wop yeah. thing. Which the theme to Muppet Babies is sort of doo-wop, but it's a different song. Like the Muppet Babies, you know. I'd have to read a little bit more. I don't know if they intended Muppet Babies to be a uh, puppet show. 
I thought the show, I thought the cartoon was already on the air before this movie came out, but I could be mistaken. No. It, um, it, I thought that there might have been, like, pressure to get it into the film or something. Oh, it might have been in development. Yeah, okay, so it comes out later that year, Muppet Babies. So you might be right. It might have been in development, and they're like, oh, get it in the movie or something. or I don't know. And the movie could have come to my town later that year because that's how movies used to work. Gotcha. Like they would, there was no blanket release date in the late 80s even in the early 90s i feel like movies took some time to get to my town yeah no and i remember being a kid too for like kids movies there wasn't the urgency to see it opening night always that was reserved for the big films i remember going to see disney movies or kids movies like two months after they debuted sometimes you know like what are we gonna see oh we'll see this one right you know so that's not that crazy what you're saying yeah, I don't really have, like, a favorite song in this one either, unfortunately. I just remember, like, as a kid thinking that the songs were just kind of, like, downers, almost. Everything is just sort of, like, don't take no, and, like, saying goodbye, and, like, getting married, and because <laughs> things I wasn't really kind of catching on to, I guess, as a little kid. Uh, so, like, as an adult, like, I don't know, I don't really, I, my mind hasn't really changed too much on them. I mean, the somebody's getting married one is probably, like, the most catchy to me yeah i could see that one actually being in like a broadway show or something looking at my notes just like other stuff i wanted to mention just again quick quick hitters if you will i've always made a list of you know obviously i host high school slumber party and people have always teased oh are you gonna do college slumber party next but i've always kind of wanted to do this post-college in your 20s malaise movies we've talked about this what's what do they call that like a, a gap year not necessarily gap year you know it's like that quarter-life crisis, like like St. Elmo's Fire is an example I always give, right? There's a bunch of movies like that. I'm like, is this one of them? Like, you're wide-eyed, you graduate college, and then it's like, oh my god, life hits you in the face, right? The Graduate is another movie like that, obviously, right? It is really funny in this movie how it all comes about, where like, they put on the show at college, it's like a senior variety hour show, so it's not like even a complete show, you know? And someone in the crowd is like, hey, like, kind of almost, not jokingly, it seems pretty sincere, he's like, how about Broadway? You should take the show to Broadway, and everyone backstage is kind of like, yeah, maybe we could make it on Broadway. And they kind of like work themselves up and convince themselves. That, and Kermit comes back and he's like, we all have like majors and like plans, you know, like we're going to go do things. Like who knows if like Fozzie was going to be an attorney <laughs> or like Gonzo is going to be an accountant, right? And then they're all just like, fuck it. Let's take this year. Let's try and sell this show. Let's see if we can follow our dream before we have to fall back on our plans. Or something. And it does not go well. And again, stealthily, this is a quarter life crisis movie where you're wide eyed, graduating, you think you're going to do this thing and reality hits you, you know, and you kind of have to sink or swim at that point. So I thought that was fun. Love them living in lockers at the Port Authority for a while. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah, that's a hilarious gag. I wrote down Kermit dealing with the burden of leadership. That was so stressful as an adult watching them put all their cards in Kermit and Kermit not even like realizing it after. Yeah, the and then just like kind of flipping out. And we don't really see that a lot from Kermit. Dude, he loses his shit. I remember as a kid going kind of like, yeah, Kermit, like Tell them to get off your back. <laughs> He's like, I don't have all the answers. Why are you always looking at me? Today as an adult, I'm like, damn, he's depressed. <laughs> all right. I love Miss Piggy's teased 80s hair. Love it. Very New York of the time. I think she's my favorite thread of the film. Like, especially when everyone goes their separate ways and she's like stays behind and kind of spies on Kermit. Because it's so sweet in a way, right? Like, I don't know. You could see it as devious or it being a lot. But like, 
it's Miss Piggy, so like it's just adorable, and I love how she's like keeping an eye on Kermit almost, and then yeah, her disguise is hilarious. Just the weird jealousy she feels towards the girl who works at the diner, who Jenny, and I've never seen her in anything else, which always fascinated me till this day. Like I figured when I was a kid, I thought that was a cameo too, like by not a cameo, but I thought that was like someone who was somewhat famous, and no, it was like a, a virtual unknown. Yeah, she seems to be a regular working actress. Yeah, Hollywood, good for her. you know, did a couple of films, uh, some Star Trek, <laughs> you know, some Babylon 5. Her resume is pretty thick, so. But you're right. I, I didn't know her from anything. I've never seen her again in my life, but I think she's a pretty cool character. And I love, there's like a stealthy bond she builds later with the producer's son, like the young producer, the, the Art Carney son guy, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, not Griffin Newman. <laughs> totally, totally. And I like that character. Normally, we're supposed to like hate the like entitled rich person's son who gets to put on any play he wants, but he's actually likable, you know, which is fun. And I thought that was cool too, as a kid being like, "Oh, he's got one shot." <laughs> it's like Hamilton; he's got yeah. the one shot. No, but like, <laughs> yeah, and you're right. Like, he just has like that whole sense of like belief, right? He's like, "I immediately believe in you, Kermit," and I was just like, "Oh, that's so sincere." I less believe our. Car- going like all right i'll fund you whatever you want you're talking frogs you're dancing pigs (laughs) like whatever you need and then the other note besides for like the big ending and all the cameos i mean muppet cameos there i love in the whole mad men-esque madison avenue advertising frog thing i love all those frogs i love how they talk but before that when the doctor's trying to figure out what's wrong with him and she calls she calls him like enrico something of passaic new jersey a nudist And he's like, he's like, I don't feel Italian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he says. So that's what I have. All right, good stuff, good stuff. I have one big thing I want to ask you about, but I don't have too much to add. Two or three things I loved when they all split up and go their separate ways. I like that Scooter works at the movie theater, and on 3D night, a guy comes in just to throw fish at the screen, <laughs> and they're like boomerang fish to like enhance the 3D experience. But anything with like 3D movies, that was that was fun. And I loved Gonzo's bit, like because Gonzo being a daredevil, I love how they brought that back. The great Gonzo and and just like all of his chickens, and then the dude in the giant chicken costume driving the boat, like it was all just like that was almost a perfect bit as far as I'm concerned. So I might be thinking about this part way too hard or trying to kind of suss this out in my head but ever since i was a little kid it kind of baffled me what is the play manhattan melodies right like what (laughs) is the actual play because theoretically we've seen the last song at the beginning of the movie we see the closer together again right together again and that closes out the show and then at the end of the movie they do the wedding somebody's getting married and so presumably that opens the show right so like what's in between i think i have an answer but before i go any further do you have any thoughts on on this i think you're a little bit wrong because he's looking for a new closer to replace together again and that's when he comes up with somebody's getting married so we see the end of the play at the end of the movie we just see the last song yes we see the end almost twice like a reformatted ending you're right it's not really clear it's almost like the play is the movie, right? Yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you're that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Are we watching the play? Like, is it some kind of thing where, like, the Muppets Take Manhattan is the movie adaption of 
the actual musical like they did with like Hairspray or something right or Chicago like that's what I came down to at the end is like the movie's the play we're watching Manhattan Melodies and so that's exactly how it's sort of structured and formatted and everything yeah I think that's right like as weird as it is I think it's awesome Um, (laughs) meta is like too heavy of a word for it but I think you you name some great examples there's a tradition in theater where it's like we're actually watching the play that they're talking about yeah, it's kind of like a thing about this movie that it's always sort of like not really bothered me because in the end I don't care because it doesn't really diminish the entertainment value for me whatsoever. It's just sort of like in the back of my head. I'm like, well, what is actually like if I were to go watch Manhattan Melodies, like what am I going to watch? And so like this watch around I concluded that like okay if I went to see this play it would start with them at college doing that song and deciding to go to Manhattan and living in lockers and the whole nine yards and it would end with Kermit getting hit by a car and you know what I'm saying like it would be all the beats we just watched would be but like as a play I'm really surprised that they haven't tried to actually do something like this on Broadway because they try to adapt everything on Broadway a Muppets on Broadway would be dude that would kind of seem like awesome I'm with it I'm with it Yeah. I mean, maybe that's where they need to go. They've been kind of struggling lately, like trying to do new shows or like, you know, new directions for the films and things like that. And maybe they need to go to the stage. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm for it. So one other thing I want to mention, though, about this final ending wedding scene is that uh, Muppets Wiki does a really great job of stuff. And I just put it in our little chat here. They actually have a seating chart of the wedding. (laughs) If you want to know every single character that appears in that final scene, it's there. And remember, this is before like Roger Rabbit and things like that. So this must have blown people's minds going to the theater. Like, oh, my God, every Muppet is there. Oh, yeah. I remember the wide shot of seeing, you know, Big Bird in the back row going like, what? Big Bird showed up? Like, whose family is he on? Brideside, according to this list. Uh, most Sesame Street are Brideside. Yeah, it, that's cool. That's really cool. Again, I love uh, the fandom. And I'm a fan. You're a fan of the Muppets. But there are fans who are way bigger fans than us who, who could list every Muppet with tattoos and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, And that's something I realized about myself just the older I get is that there are people that have devoted their entire lives to one singular thing, whereas I kind of like lots of stuff, right? So like, I'm never going to get to the point of total recall when it comes to something like this, right? Where it comes like I could just tell you every Muppet off the top of my head or like every Nintendo game or like even with Nick Cage movies, like as much as I love Cage, like it would take me a while to sit down and name every single hundred of his movies you know what i'm saying like i'm not that devoted to like anything really (laughs) which isn't a much i don't think is a bad thing to be to be that devoted either but it's just wild i'm not at that level of muppets i think that you either need to have a different kind of brain the way you know there's nothing wrong with that or you have to literally not care about a lot of things right like all your brain space needs to be devoted to like three things and you know in this case the Muppets being one of them and that's not the easiest thing to do time sure flies when you talk Muppets (laughs) don't it I don't really have much more to say about this film I mean sometimes that's the deal is like it's hard sometimes to keep going on and on if you're just going to heap praise on something you love Brian is there anything else you'd like to say before we get going no this was just a pleasure to be able to talk not just not just Muppets Take Manhattan but Jim Henson and and my entire love of the Muppets and again it's a nice breath of fresh air to be able to have these positive conversations about positive happy movies you know absolutely agree with that 100% 
hopefully I'll get on your show and not just be talking Corey all next year. <laughs> I know we got a I know there's a new slumber party massacre, so I'd like to get on the bright side of things with something at some point on your show next year. Not just sort of horror all the time, <laughs> but it has been fun, but I'm just saying like, you know, it's too bad there aren't any high school Muppet films. The Muppets never went to high school, did they? <laughs> well, I, mean, I guess at least we didn't see it. But yeah, no, and we gave you a long break after the Corey's thing, but you'll be on again soon, Mike, on High School Slumber Party, and we'll have a good time there. Uh, there's one that we're going to be recording soon that I have to, you know, let you know about, and it's a high school reunion film. So I hope, uh, you know, that's not going to be a negative one. So don't worry about that. <laughs> And the show's been great lately. I've been listening a lot. The craft episodes are a lot of fun. The AP stuff has been great. So why don't you give the listeners, um, you know, a little idea of what you got going on at High School Slumber Party these days? Well, we're still chugging along 250 episodes and counting. We're not the major hit like The Monsters That Made Us is, but we're still, <laughs> we're still the little engine that could there, talking high school films and having a blast doing it. Mike, you already mentioned High School Slumber Party AP, where we look at modern films, but we're just having a good time there, and we'll continue to do it, talking teen films until I die. Maybe until I have a teenager. Who knows? Maybe that's how long I'll be doing it for. But yeah, you'll be on that soon. And as we close out the year, this might have aired already or not, but of course, at the end of the year, we always do High School Slumber Party Hall of Fame. That should be fun. And for my senior year, which that's what this is, I just mentioned it, but we are doing high school reunion movies as well. We did American Reunion. We just did Garden State, which is another film about people going back to their high school town and stuff. And we'll continue that. And if you know a reunion film in your head, we're probably going to cover it. So stay posted. Awesome. Well, thanks as always for being on. My unofficial co-host, Brian Rodriguez, Muppet fan theater fan general fan of new york city when i think of new york i think of brian thanks for coming on thanks for having me mike together again gee it's good to be together again i just can't imagine that you've ever been gone it's not starting over it's just going on together again That's going to do it for another Muppet-filled episode of Third Time's a Charm. Got to thank my unofficial co-host, Brian Late Night Rodriguez, over there from High School Slumber Party Podcast. Be sure to check me out over there on a new episode where we go over the latest Slumber Party Massacre movie. It was such a blast. Thank you, Brian, for having me back, talking about a movie that isn't a Corey movie this year. We get to continue our High School Slumber Party movie massacre series, and hopefully they'll be making another one soon. 
Well, thanks for listening and checking out all the other shows I'm on over at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show on iTunes where you could rate, review, and all that kind of good stuff. You can find it on Spotify, everywhere else that you get podcasts. And write to the show at 3 at cageclub.me if you wish. And until next time... That's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three may stop at me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?